Hello and welcome to the Game Off Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Andrew, with my co-host, Brent, Arcadia. Today we've got our showcase between Ion Fury and some game no one's ever heard of called Fire Emblem Three Houses. <laughs> That's we'll only also- funny now because <laughs> it was not a popular series up until a few years ago. But anyway, continue. <laughs> We've also got our fireside getting to know you chats. And uh, before we do any of that, we're going to jump into a little bit of news. Brent, why don't you start us off with the news? Yeah, it's a a little minor tidbit of news that's sort of, um, I don't know, sort of underscores the current era of gaming. So a while back, it was announced that Gears of War, uh, which is famously an Xbox only franchise, was also going to be coming to uh, Steam. Uh, Gears of War 4 came to PC and Xbox um, same day and date, but it was exclusive to the Windows Store. So they announced today at Gamescom that it was going to also be coming to Steam on the release day, which further grazed the areas of like, what is exclusivity? Who gives a shit about publishers (laughs) like locking, locking their games into sealed gardens like how does a mega corporation like what does a mega corporation like Microsoft know like the rest of, you know, Twitter doesn't when they are calling for the fact that they need more exclusives. And they're like, well, we, we really don't. We're going to keep making games <laughs> and we're going to put it on every possible platform. They do. They do need more games on Xbox. But I like that their approach is we need more exclusives. Because really, like, I mean, I'm sure you can attest to this. Steam yeah. Steam is clearly its own ecosystem. Oh, yeah. I, I wonder if there's some kind of market research that was done that just showed that people who buy games on Steam generally don't own an Xbox One. And so it was just a we're not we're not converting people off of things so we may as well just rope them in and sell to them as well. Yeah, exactly. There's there's no miracle conversion therapy for PC people. They're they're called <laughs> they call themselves PC master racers for a reason. Is because they're they're psychotically loyal sometimes, but for the most part, it's it's well deserved. I mean, it it's the most modular ecosystem, obviously. But beside the point. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's a smart move. I think that. I think that especially seeing Microsoft doing this and just kind of thumbing their nose at the idea of exclusivity or, or turning exclusivity, not from it's exclusive to our console, but it's being excluded from these two consoles. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it, it becomes much more of a, a focus on the have nots than the haves. Like yep, there's all yep. tons of places you can play Gears of War, just not on PlayStation. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, they even announced uh, Ori and Will of the Wisps, or no, Ori yeah. and Blind Forest for Switch, which makes it the second uh, game that Microsoft has the publishing rights to on Switch. Yeah, so, I think that's that's awesome. I think they are... Absolutely. Go- th- this is a, a really interesting gamut for them, and I don't see how it doesn't pull off, or doesn't pay off. I- I've not heard anyone really faulting them for it, other than just questioning whether they're in they're in the right state of mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the criticism I usually see is like the same old, you know, just blind hate towards Microsoft. Oh, I mean, sure. Like, yeah, they 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 racked up a, a bit of uh, ill will um, at the beginning of this generation. 
honestly, they have, in, in my opinion, they have probably the most pro-consumer policies in a broad sense. Uh, not all of them are, are perfect. Not all of them are good. Uh, they still have a really <laughs> gray return policy that I've tried to use and gotten burned by. Um, but that's neither here nor there. The, the, the fact is that this is a, a pro-consumer move and people need to keep in mind that we are the consumers. We're not the, ah, shit, this is going to turn into a, a thing. I'm not going to go down that road. Um, <laughs> anyway, good, good for the, good for the little guy. Yeah. Period. They've, I've been really impressed with everything they've been doing in the latter half of this generation. I mean, I've been since they announced it at E3 and made it available. I have been loving the Game Pass for PC. I have gotten well more than my than my monthly fee on that. It's yeah. been fantastic and gotten to try out a lot of games that you know I played for ten minutes. That yep, I'm glad I didn't pay for this because <laughs> this is not for me. <laughs> but it was nice to be able to try that out. And with Steam, you know, they have their little two hour return window, but. In some games, it takes you an hour to two hours just to figure out what the hell the game is. Yeah, I, I I get that they don't want to broaden that because, you know, some games only last for two hours. Oh, sure. At the same time, I think it kind of needs to be on a case-by-case basis, and I think that's a big problem with Steam in general is it's just not curated at all. And but- seeing seeing the, the Microsoft Game Pass... And, you know, just the, the couple new games they put in a month, I feel like I'm back on a curated ecosystem of yeah. just like, hey, here are some really cool games that you might like. And that weird supermarket game with a goat <laughs> in it that maybe didn't feel as curated as the rest. But Supermarket Shriek. Supermarket Shriek. Yes. Glad, yes. I'm I, also glad I didn't pay money for that. Yeah, I, I tried to. I, I'm glad I tried it. But, you know, it feels like back in the early days of Steam where a game being on there kind of meant a little bit. It gave you a little bit of an indication as to its quality. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not expecting anything that goes into the Xbox Game Pass to be broken, to be unplayable, to be poorly optimized. You know, the stuff that's coming through is the well-made games. Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of the the story that came out, or not the story, the, the press release that Nintendo did a while back, because one of the things that people got really excited for with the Switch was they had a pretty curated uh, catalog of games, and all the indie developers were talking about how much better it was selling on Switch because it was a curated marketplace, and people could find their games, and Nintendo clearly approved of their games. Then Nintendo 180'd completely on that, and they were like, we're going to try and release 200 indie games a month. And everyone was like, that's that's a lot of games. Have you heard of a company called Valve and a (laughs) platform called Steam that did a very similar thing a couple of years ago and essentially ruined it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's pure chaos now. But, yeah. I'm glad those the lines are graying. What do you got yeah. for us this weekend? This is something that I don't think we would have really covered because it's not in our standard purview. Were Ion Fury not the game that I was planning on talking about this week, I think we would have just kind of let it go because I don't think we've tra- you know traveled in this subject matter much before. But uh, hi everyone, Andy in, here with a retraction of sorts recorded a week after the fact. When we originally recorded this episode, there was some controversy around offensive content and some gross and lame Discord conversations surrounding Ion Fury. 
and I took developer void points apology at face value and at good faith. I gave them the benefit of the doubt as far as their knowledge of offensive content in the game was concerned, and as far as the attitudes of a few of their developers on Discord were concerned. Since then, they've kind of half-recanted their apology and made some comments about how they weren't going to censor themselves. Apparently there was some backlash from a vocal part of the community that felt very strongly that a bottle of lotion labeled Oil of Ogay and an off-map area with the term fagbag in it was an exercise in free speech that needed to be left in, lest it be known that Void Point was just bending the knee to SJWs or something, who knows. And in light of all that, I feel really gross leaving my previous take on the whole thing in the episode, since it was based on their comments a week ago and not their new comments now. I've requested that our producer Dilbert insert this instead of the previous recording of the news segment. All my thoughts on the technical aspects of the game and gameplay and whether it's fun or not that you'll hear in a bit still stand, but... Obviously, the situation regarding the actual release in the game and the controversy around it has changed a bit since then. Thanks. All right. Why don't we segue into the fireside chat? Much lighter, yeah, generally absurd segment of the show. Well, hopefully, I don't know what you know. Our, our producer Dirk might have given us some very heavy topics. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. She, um, she's new. Feel a lot forget her. Why don't you start? All right. Hey, Andy, how, how you doing today? I'm doing okay. How you doing? I'm good. I always picture the segment with like violins playing in the background. <laughs> us, us sipping a cup of tea, staring lovingly. I, I um, have a, I have a cup of tea. It's a cup of orange spice tea. It's very pleasant. Well, well, lottie fucking duh. I don't have <laughs> one. You braggart. Oh, uh, what is this? Um... But the question is New Zealand's hand. Do you know about this? <laughs> no? New Zealand's okay. hand? Yeah, I don't know. She sent me a link. I don't know how this is going to translate to audio. So I got to send you the link now. Okay. I'll, I'll uh, take a look at New Zealand's <laughs> Is this like like the boot of Italy or is this something Oh no. No. Okay. So <laughs> the Wellington New Zealand, I assume this is their official account. I uh, could be wrong. <laughs> Give, oh. it, it, it reads, Give a big hand for Wellington's newest resident. Quasi, designed by artist Ronnie Van Hout, has been standing on Christchurch City Gallery since 2016, but will now call the City Gallery Wellington Roof his new home. And for our audio listeners, how would you describe this thing? So, if you imagine that you put your hand, you tucked your thumb behind your palm, and you put your hand so that you could kind of make a little man who walked with your ring and middle finger. And you can walk like that. And then imagine that you grafted a face onto the back of your hand <laughs> and then cut your hand off at the wrist and stood it up so that you could have a little walking man ready to go. I, and then I was, scaled that by... A 500. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, then made it like human-sized or larger and put it on the roof of a building in New Zealand. <laughs> I cannot approve of this enough. This is fantastic. It, it is... There is no need for the face. Everyone should look this up and, and just listen. You know, look it up and look along while we're looking at this because this is incredible. There's no need for it to be this detailed. There's no need... <laughs> For it to have it has the, so many wrinkles, it has so many wrinkles. It, it's got a gorgeous pair of green eyes. Just really, oh, a, a breathtaking thing. 
if this wasn't coming from an official Twitter, I would think this was photoshopped in. But I am 100% on board with this. I think this is one of those bits of weird that you hear about. This is something that you would, that I would expect to see as like a made up feature of a town in a quirky indie comedy of like, <laughs> yeah, that's they, exactly right. They all just go party around the, the hand. Yeah. They, they all meet up at the hand. They party around the hand. You know, they make offhand references to it <laughs> in, in some little, you know, town called like bright hope indiana or something yeah but this is real and i'm so happy for it i could not i could not support this more <laughs> if there was a kickstarter the, i donated to it right now <laughs> the, the face it makes is like solid gold too I, I i i can't describe this expression it's i think it's disappointment <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's not uh, a loving face it's not a face that it's that's <laughs> filling me with warmth yeah, it's it's disappointment, or it's it's the face my dad would make if I tried to explain something in a video game to him as a kid. Just yeah, it, mm-hmm. it might be Ben Mendelssohn if he was a hand, like, <laughs> which might be a which might be a slight to him because he's Australian. <laughs> I know they have their their gang feud sometimes across the the river or whatever. <laughs> it's it, this is amazing. I I. Can, can yeah, we... I, I can't hype this up enough. Will they say... Oh, wait. So there's more. There's weighing over 400 kilograms. Oh, my. Five meter hybrid face hand. This is incredible. Uh, do they <laughs> do they sell smaller versions of this? I could put like on top of a bookcase in my house. Five meters? That's so big. Jesus. That's like 15 feet. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's... Somebody's... Oh man, I wouldn't want to get scissored by those hands. <laughs> so I I don't have anything but love and praise and respect for this. Yes. Uh, do, <laughs> I, do, I, do you have anything to add? I'm glad I don't see this on my commute every day, but I'm so happy that this exists. I think I don't think I can handle the face just because I look so disappointed. That's like not what I want to see in the morning. Like maybe on the way back. Maybe after a long day at work, I'd be like, same, bro. Same. <laughs> so anyway, my topic, which is, this is one of those forbidden sentences. One of those things in, where in docs, where you, where you know every word in a sentence, but you can't actually parse it. <laughs> and <laughs> it, oh, it's been magic. I see. Yeah. It's Oscar Meyer's hot dog, ice cream sandwiches. Yeah, that hurts. Yeah. Hot dog ice cream sandwich. Well, there's so many things wrong with that to start. What we've got... Are the hot dogs frozen? We've got cookie bun. (laughs) And in between that, we have two types of... We have two flavors of ice cream. We have a spicy Dijon gelato and a hot dog sweet cream with candied hot dog bits. What the fuck are you saying? (laughs) Why? Why are you trying to hurt me? Now this is this is an affront. I don't I don't have much to add to this. Everything you you're reading actively to me hurts my brain, <laughs> my soul, my stomach is churning. I'm angry. So you're you're not on this board with actual, this. No. 
What? How is it just packaged? Are they making this at like a kiosk or something? At a pop up? Uh, I they're they selling this. They're coming in August. Uh, I I don't know beyond. Oh, I, if they were in New York City with a ice cream based company, Il Laboratorio del Gelato, all in lowercase, so it's difficult to find as the company name in a paragraph. It, they called it the Ice Dog Sandwich. I don't. I. I don't know, man. I, I don't like ice cream to start, so maybe this will alienate people. But <laughs> ice cream's trash food. Um, <laughs> I used to I used to really like just eating like frozen or cold hot dogs, though. So that's oh, the only thing that no. makes me. Yeah, I mean, I was. <laughs> I, I you just grew up on the mean streets of Bristol, Connecticut. You gotta. I, but the, just the transition from somehow. I don't like ice cream; it's a trash food. I used to eat frozen hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> is this just a roller coaster of food emotions yeah uh, i'm sorry guys don't ask me for food advice i don't know what i'm doing um yeah i'm really trying to picture it i think i think if there weren't so many different ice creamy parts and gelato parts i might be interested in some morbid sense there's like so many different goofy things i just don't i can't get behind i can't get behind weird ice cream flavors to begin with because i'm not i'm not a big ice cream guy myself my teeth hurt too much my teeth my teeth are like sponges there's nothing i can do so i don't eat a ton of ice cream but i know that people do like the bacon flavors and the avocado flavors and you start going into the really weird savory flavors and i just i don't get it um leave dessert with dessert leave your mains with your mains just have ice cream and then have a or have a a hot dog and then have ice cream are you so busy that you need to combine the two you don't have time for both i i I like the creativity i really do sure i appreciate that someone went out there and said that there's a market for this it can't possibly just be good press because like every possible company does something silly like this nowadays. But they they went out, despite all advice, I'm sure, from real human beings who eat food, <laughs> decided to manufacture this thing. And about 10,000 people are going to eat it. They're all going to be confused and upset. They're going to Instagram it and then it'll go away forever, hopefully banished to the deep bowels of hell. Yeah, th- this is kind of following in a in a trend of companies do of food companies doing this and doing their little pop ups with their weird uh, deconstructions of the thing that they sell done in a fancy way, and it's just it's like living in an episode of MasterChef or something. I don't like it. <laughs> I, d- I don't like. I don't want to like slow down the progress of food science and and discovering new flavor profiles, but at the same time. <laughs> Don't make mustard gelato. I just we don't need yeah. we don't need to try. Do you remember that? Do you play that game on iOS, uh, Doodle God? Yes, yes. We're just mashing things together in hopes of making another thing. Yep, that's what this is. It's just all right. Let's go into the the flavor cabinet and what do we got that hasn't been mixed together? All right, uh, bologna <laughs> chocolate bars. 
Does that that didn't oh, spawn no. anything? Damn it! Okay, they were gonna. <laughs> we're, we're three new creations away from leveling up as a corporation. Dijon Gelato. Okay, that one did something. Let's just keep going. Keep trying <laughs> I felt, every combination. I felt a jiggle in my loins. <laughs> <laughs> Good enough. Oh God! Please. D- Dirk is really testing Please. us today. Yeah. Don't don't support this or do. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's delicious. I don't know. I shouldn't judge. It sounds disgusting. I hate it so much. <laughs> that, I, I want to get just what what you just said cut out and have that saved as like a, as a sound file I can play as a reaction <laughs> to so many things that I see. I saw the other day pumpkin spice spam. Oh no! Yeah, what's happening? I, this is what I mean. This is this is. I I know people like to. To talk about, I like, would eat that. Like, oh no, man! People like to talk <laughs> about, like, oh, this is what caused the Roman Empire to fall. Like, this is it. We've got a population <laughs> that's so bored that we're putting pumpkin spice in spam. No progress can continue. The world is ending. <laughs> <laughs> At least you know it's only here for three months. I guess small consolation. Oh, thing. it's gonna it, pumpkin spice is gonna be like Christmas. They're just gonna keep starting it earlier and earlier and every year. It's true. I was in fucking uh, at home. This like, I, I don't know what the hell it is. It's just like a home goods, but five times bigger. They yep. just keep all of their decorations up yeah, all year they, round. They've just got Christmas and Halloween so all the like, time. Yeah. So it was like living in fucking uh, nightmare before Christmas. It was the weirdest fucking thing. <laughs> in that weird little like you'd portal o- dimension you'd open between one all tree the door. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Over a tree door, and suddenly you were in Thanksgiving or Christmas or Halloween or Easter. You know, anyway, that's an aside. I know, you know, I, I want to talk about that real quick because I was always pissed off that we never got to see what was behind all the other doors. Like, we didn't get to explore those worlds as well. Yeah, there were a couple of weird ones, weren't they? Was, yeah. Wasn't Arbor Day one of them, which is a bit like Inception? I want to see all of, I want a, a movie that explores all of those different tree holiday worlds through the tree portals. I want to see that. Yeah, man. Yeah, Tim Burton. What else you got going on? <laughs> Nothing. Can't possibly be ruining any more franchises. Stop making Alice in Wonderland <laughs> sequels, please. They're so bad. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. All right, let's let's move on to our showcase. Do you want to tell us about Fire yeah. Emblem, Brent? Yeah, showcase. Fire Emblem. Th- Fire Emblem Three Houses is the umpteenth game in the Fire Emblem series. Uh, It's a series that almost died and went away that two games ago in the main series, they designed it knowing that it wasn't really successful. It never really took off in the Western world. And so they designed it as their sort of send off for the entire franchise. Surprising to everyone, it became a colossal hit. And then which spawned two more sequels since then and a very, very popular mobile game. It's actually, last I saw it's still Nintendo's most profitable mobile game. Is this, Um, not not to cut in, but is this the the series where the designer said he does not understand why Americans play his game? I have not heard this quote. It it could very well be it because I feel like that's how most games... Japanese games get successful in America. Okay. It's like, I don't know why this is working, but some fucking Americans keep buying it. Um, 
Yeah, so Fire Emblem Three Houses is uh, probably six years since the reinvigoration of the entire franchise. And it's very special in that it continues to innovate um, in so many different ways. I would say that where what Awakening was to the entire franchise, Three Houses probably is to what they're doing nowadays. And, and it's just like amazing the amount of new and innovative not necessarily for gaming in general, but for the franchise, new and innovative stuff that they've crammed into this one game. Now, what kind of game is it? So, yeah, Fire Emblem is primarily a tactics game, which means that you're sort of playing on a grid. Um, This is the combat portion of the game. I'll get to the rest of it. But it, it, it allows you to sort of go slow and methodically through combat and really take your time and think about things. It's very uh, cartoony style. It's very reminiscent of a lot of like anime stylings. Actually, like most of the avatars are sort of anime. But Three Houses, more than any other game in the franchise, well good and beyond any other game in the franchise, has a lot of out-of-combat activities. Okay. Um, since Awakening, you've sort of had like a hub world where you can go. It's usually it can be like a contrived, like parallel dimension where you all hang out or a base of operations that can move around, stuff like that. In Three Houses, the entire premise is that you're you're a teacher at this uh, monastery and you're teaching the next generation of knights. Um, if this sounds like an anime storyline, it's cause it is, uh, <laughs> your, your, your entire, the entire premise of the game is built around you going back to the monastery after battles and teaching your students and bonding with your students and giving them weird gifts to raise your relationship level with them for weird reasons. Um, but that's beside the point. Um, so th- it's sort of a game, uh, that tells, uh, a, it plays out in two different ways. You have like a really interesting combat um, in this tactical, well thought out environment. And then you have like the exploration and the teaching portion of the game where you're running around and literally just building relationships and trying to make friends. And the, the eponymous part of the game is that there are three different houses. You're only teaching one of them. So if you can get in the good graces of students from other houses, you can also recruit them into your house. Oh, okay. Um, which plays in a lot more later in the story. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, that's that's pretty much the the mile high for three houses. Now, is it? I uh, would you say not to get into too much of the next category, but like, would you say that's kind of indicative of Fire Emblem as a whole? Like the general gameplay loop is the same. Traditionally, the the gameplay loop was entirely based around uh, the combat. So there's. I, you probably spend at least a third of your time, if not more, doing like, out of gameplay activities. So like the gameplay loop that I get really addicted to is always the combat, but I'm I always like, I'm a human. I need breaks from the combat. And it's <laughs> nice to just go and run around a monastery and like talking to people. It's, it's not just children you're talking to. Like there's people around, there's things to collect. <laughs> not, not just children, but actual people. But <laughs> real live human beings, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's there's uh, quite a there, the the gameplay loop varies depending on what you're doing, obviously, and I'll get into that a lot more later. All right, looking forward to hear more about that. Yeah, tell us about Ion Fury. Ion Fury is the latest build engine game 
which if you weren't playing FPSs in the 90s, you may not be fully aware of. I think the last build engine game was called World War II GI and was 19 years ago. Build Engine was this kind of uh, 2.5D engine halfway between Doom and full 3D like Quake. It's the engine that games like Duke Nukem 3D, Shadow Warrior, Blood, I think Redneck Rampage might have been on it as well. It's a lot of 90s pedigree FPSs were built on this build engine. And there's... If you want to take the time and read about it, it's a very interesting thing to read about. And the guy, Ken Silverman, who kind of was behind it, he's an interesting guy as well, but I'm not going to get into that here. The Ion Fury is the latest game that uses the build engine, and it's very much is a game, it very much is an FPS of the 90s. The same sensibilities, level design, puzzle design as your Duke Nukem's and Bloods and Shadow Warriors. You have your main character, Shelly Bombshell. I can't remember her last name now. I want to say it's Harrison. Uh, I'll say it, I'm going to say it's Harrison. Bombshell's not her last name. No, she well, she's a bomb defusal expert, which is why her nickname's Bombshell. And she is out there shooting and fighting robots uh, to stop an evil doctor from all of his evil shit. <laughs> and you play as her, running around picking up guns, shooting people, finding red and blue and yellow keys to open new areas. And looking around for tons of secrets, hidden areas where you can find, you know, get earlier access to weapons than you normally would. Mm. Tons of extra ammo, tons of extra uh, health and armor and things like that. It is, if you've played Duke Nukem, Blood, Shadow Warrior, any of those, I can't think of the names of any other build engine games. So I'm going to keep listing those three. If you've played those, (laughs) you're familiar with how Ion Warrior works or Ion Fury works. Iron Fury is just that polished to hell. It's like you took those games and put them in a rock tumbler for the last 19 years and then pull them out now. And then this is a fucking polished game. This is all of the jagged edges. All of the slight rough patches of, of those have been polished out and it is just pure run and gun FPS fun. Sounds fun. Yeah. Question. Yes. Is that what a rock tumbler does? I, th- I always thought it worked like a gizzard where it like ground things up in it. Yeah, you take, uh, we, actually, we actually had a rock tumbler when we first moved in here. We bought a rock tumbler to tumble some tumble some rocks in. And I don't know if you ever use them. They are what? loud as hell. They just, <laughs> we could, it. we had it in the basement <laughs> and we could hear it on the second floor of the house. <laughs> My God. It was so loud. Oh yeah, you put the rocks in there. You put a little bit of grit. And then you just let it tumble for like, you know, six weeks. And then you take it out and you're like, oh, this is just a slightly smoother version of the rock I put in. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Good investment. <laughs> why? why what, what was your game plan? Is this just how this just, like, uh, this is, this is, mediums make their money? Yeah. This, this is just how, you know, young people spend their time. <laughs> we just tumble rocks. I think that's the official uh, border where you reach middle-aged <laughs> when you buy a rock tumbler. Maybe we're not young people anymore. Well, you know... It- we have rock tumbler money now. <laughs> yeah, I no longer am begging my parents for one for Christmas. I can just go out and buy myself <laughs> one. I th- we're going to get completely off topic. How big is this thing? The- I imagine it's like the size of a human. The rock tumbler? Yeah. No, the rock tumbler is like the size of a toaster. Wait, really? Oh, really? 
we're not we're not tumbling boulders. <laughs> you're, I don't know, man. I don't know. You're tumbling. I still don't understand why you had the damn thing <laughs> to tumble rocks. It was just to make rocks to take rocks God that damn. weren't very smooth and make them smoother. I apologize to our listeners <laughs> for this aside. We <laughs> nothing has been concluded. Nothing ever will. It's a it's a very f- finely polished and sand down version of those old build engine games. It it takes it it does what a lot of people were hoping games like Ukulele and others would would do, where they would take the style and aesthetic and gameplay of a essentially dead genre of game and then mm. adapt it to modern times, but learn from what's you know, happened since then. And they've definitely done that just as far as the kind of the kind of sticking points that you would have had in a game like Shadow Warrior or Blood or Duke Nukem 3D. Yeah. That's that's a good analogy, ukulele. It's, it's, I think pretty much considered a disappointment for all the things that it promised. Yeah, my own experience with it and everyone I talked to about it kind of had that same feeling of why did they make the same mistakes? Why did they, they make the same bad decisions that people were making with 3D mascot platformers 15 years ago? Yeah, right. Like, we we didn't want Banjo-Kazooie 3 for the N64. Right. Wanted, well, I mean, some we people did. a new game. But this, this is, this is the, that kind of promise realized accurately. And I was actually yeah. someone who bought this in early access over a year ago when it was first made available on steam because they had like a three level campaign you could play. And mm-hmm. I played through that. I've been hyped for it since uh, it, it's just been a great time. So that, that's kind of my introduction awesome. to it. Awesome. Shoot robots. So positive. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, a far cry from last week. <laughs> just fucking hated our game. Watch episode 10. Yeah. Well, don't watch uh, it, but listen watch. to it. Well, you can watch it on YouTube. It's just you won't. Go, go, it, go it down. Require many frames. Go down a little copy of Winamp or Real Player, something with a really cool audio visualizer, and <laughs> watch last week's episode. <laughs> I mean, if you have a Chroma keyboard, you can just audio visualize on that too. Oh, but that's not shout, as shout shout out. That's not as cool as some of the the old Winamp vid- visualizers. Yeah, you. That's, only stoners use those, Andy. Well, I had one for my Rio MP3 player that had some really cool visualizers as well. Just, yeah. just saying. Yeah, no, I kind of want to download one now. <laughs> I can, just I can take, send you a copy of a uh, p- copy of the Rio MP3 player audio visualizer that I have. I, st- I still have the disc. It's in a stack behind me, actually. What's what is it, the Swedish death cleaning? Weren't you telling <laughs> me about that? Yeah, it sounds like you need that pretty bad. No, I, I'm I'm assuming that my kid's gonna be really excited about all this. <laughs> well, raise him well, and in your image, and maybe he will. But if he steps out of your shadow for one moment, <laughs> oh, you will be blinded by the light. <laughs> all right, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Fire Emblem? Yeah, yeah. So, talk about the my favorite mechanic from the game. Um, so there's a lot of things that I really like about this version because it really plays up a lot of what I liked about Fire Emblem. Um, the tactical combat is tight and consistently surprising, which should also appeal to people that really liked XCOM um, because there's just endless fucking ambushes and surprises and they added fog in this game. So it's like a fucking nightmare. You got to be good. There, There is easier difficulties now. I, I opted to play on hard cat classic which means permadeath um but 
anyone play play on whatever is best for you. The game's hard. <laughs> the deep deep relation <laughs> deep relationship building um, I really liked in this game. It, it it was a lot better than the old games where you were just sort of like not you you were shipping everybody and shipping for people who don't know is where you sort of like make relationships for people in your head. <laughs> Except this was like the simulator for it. So you could do that and then they would have kids and then your kids would also join your party. And then before you knew it, you'd have 400 fucking party members and you could only use eight to ten of, ten of them at a time. Um, <laughs> this game, this game rears that back and spends a lot more time on the relationships for the handful of heroes that you have. But obviously, if you play on classic, if those heroes die, then you have less heroes and they're not just replenishing themselves. There's a reason the older games did that. But in this game, maybe maybe not recommended. And there's also I, I really love the story, the dark political stories or dark stories of political intrigue and like the political murders and assassinations like this is not your daddy's Nintendo game. This is even though it's colorful and probably only rated teen Maybe even less. I can't imagine less. There's a lot of death in this game. Fair warning. But no, none of that is my favorite thing, Andy. <laughs> my favorite thing in general is like all of the different mechanics that revolve around mentoring. Since the game is themed around you being a teacher and you're in school and blah, 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 blah there's a lot of different ways that you can build um, your students' education and into specific like weapon skills it's a night school so or you know you can also build reason and faith and logic skills stuff like that charm um but for the most part you're building like strength dexterity luck stuff like that and you can you can you can guide them into certain focuses give them goals they may reassert certain goals that they have for themselves they may just be like cool whatever whatever you think teach i don't really i don't give a shit but that sounds very familiar you, you, to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, um, it, it does this in a bunch of different ways. You can have, you can have personal training lessons. You can have seminars. You can have, um, to build your relationship. You can share meals or tea with allies later on in the game. You can run drills with individual allies that raise both of your skills. Um, I think if there's one falling down point, it's that a lot of the students can be better at the skills than the teacher. You're like, just because you're the teacher doesn't necessarily mean that you have a higher overall skill rating in those areas than the students. Okay. So it's a little bit of a grain of salt situation where it's like, this, this is weird. Like I, I could easily learn more from this student and you can literally can go to the student and be like, let's run advanced drills. And then I would benefit from it more than they would benefit <laughs> from me teaching them that skill. But besides the point, I like that they really played into the theme a lot and it works out really well. And it doesn't even in the late game, it doesn't get that tedious, whereas some other parts of the, the gameplay um, kind of do get tedious. And I'll talk about that later. Anyway, Ion Fury, favorite mechanic. Uh, I mean, it's kind of hard with a game like Ion Fury because there aren't really any new mechanics since it is very much in the style and keeping with 90s FPSs. Well, let's let's say what what makes it unique. What, yeah. what makes it better than the old games? I, I think a lot of it comes down to level design. The they do a phenomenal job of giving you large areas to play around in that seem 
unwieldy at first, but you very quickly learn your way around them and find, okay, I know my limitations. I know which doors are decorative doors versus doors that I can open versus doors that I can't open yet because they need a key versus doors that need a switch. You know, because you had, if you think back to like Resident Evil, where you'd have a hallway where two of the doors were real and the other eight were, you know, blocked from the other side or the you know, damage beyond whatever they called it. Yeah, that that I understand more, but the decorative doors really gets me. I think we could do an entire spicy take segment <laughs> on decorative fucking doors. So you've got, uh, Ion Fury does a very good job of communicating all of its level design and its visual language communicates exactly where you should be looking without you, see, you feel like you're exploring. You feel like you're exploring this whole level, but it's designed in a way where it kind of funnels you unknowingly the way that you're supposed to go. Even when you're in this big open um, kind of like city on the you know, city buildings on the side of a ravine going into a central area or in a police academy that's kind of loops around on itself, you still find yourself going to the right spot. And because of the way that, you know, these games, you open an area and there's more things to kill, you get that immediate feedback of, oh, I'm going the right way because I found new items I haven't picked up yet and new people I haven't murdered. Mm. The the main character, Bombshell, I also really enjoy. She is in keeping with Caleb and uh, was it was it Wang in in Shadow Warrior and Duke Nukem as just this kind of like very over the top spouting one liners macho action heroes. She's very much in that vein, and they could have gone the the route that I was expecting where her quips very much played on her sexuality or on, you know, innuendo with the guns and the bombs and things like that, which I've seen with female characters in a dozen other games, but they very much did not do that. The quips that she uses for the most part are just quips that any action hero could have said. And I, I I was expecting to cringe at them and I didn't. And that was a real nice surprise because I was expecting just because it's, you know, that's the way a lot of female characters are played in games. I was expecting to kind of cringe at like a lot of (laughs) uncomfortable or just forced innuendo with things. And there really isn't a lot of that. It's this, this female character brought to you by 10 men. (laughs) Exactly. This just felt like an, an entertaining action hero, you know, almost. Yeah. Really well done there. So I, I think, that aspect of it, and just because they've had 19 years to look back on these build engine games, a lot of the problems where I can think back to levels, especially in Blood, because that was the one that I played the most of, where if you, it was just impossible to know where you were supposed to be going, because the the place that the key was hidden, if you entered the room from a different direction, you didn't see it. Hmm. And so if you hmm. So, you know, you'd end up in one of the situations like you do in a lot of games where you didn't see it on your first pass. And so you didn't go back there to look, uh, you know, and you're just wandering, running around trying to find this key <laughs> or fi- trying to find the switch just because it wasn't designed in a way to present that to the player. Hmm. I, I just got like dark flashbacks of fucking mist. Yeah, exactly. Just things where if you didn't come out at the right angle or you didn't read the situation or interpret it the right way the first time you saw it, you were never going to get it. 
and you'd spend just hours running around in circles trying to figure out where the fuck that switch is for the blue door. Oh, it was on the other side of the chair. Yeah. But, you know, things like that. So it's, it takes a lot of, which I kind of already said, but it takes a lot of those elements of 90s first person shooters and just accentuates them. You know, one of the, the hallmarks of the build engine was that it was two and a half D. So you had, mm-hmm. you had height, but things couldn't overlap with other things. So you couldn't have a room on top of a room because it was all technically one flat map with just different heights. And in a lot of levels in those games, you could really, it really felt like that. You could really feel how that was a limitation in the way that they designed things and Mm. the way that they just kind of like lazily put bridges that you couldn't go beneath in areas. They just put a bunch of rubble underneath the bridge so you could go things like that. This game does a very good job making all that feel organic. The elevators, bridges, stairwells, things that feel like they're hidden beneath stairwells or behind things. It's There's clearly been a lot of tribal knowledge that's come up over the years of people playing around with this engine that has just equaled a game that you couldn't even imagine doing back then, even though the technology is the same. And the soundtrack's fantastic. Just amazing sound design and soundtrack for it as well. Oh, nice. So that's it. That's it for me on that. All right. Well, Fire Emblem. I'll I'll sort of do worst design and best moment back to back. I sort of think that it's good to sort of balance out the negativity with the positivity. But I'll start railing on the battle points in Fire Emblem. So as you level up in Fire Emblem, you you have a professor rating because like in in all Japanese games, you are ranked as a human being. Sure. Um, so otherwise, how will you know whether you, you have can... value or not? All right. So you get up to rank. That's a joke, guys. That doesn't. Mean... <laughs> I, I feel like sometimes we border on like <laughs> fucking maybe racism, but I... <laughs> anyway, that was a joke. Uh, so in ba- when you get to the max level, you have three battle points. So you start off with one. You have three. Use battle points to go into battle. That's sort of how you get training between missions. The whole game sort of geared around a calendar, and that's how time moves. So at you have a free day every weekend. You can choose to explore the monastery or have a seminar or rest or do battle. And one of the things that really got me was that when you do battle, you have up to three battle points, which means that If you're spending your free day, you're using all three of those battle points. So the game sort of artificially forces you into just a shit ton of combat sometimes, just back to back to back, and then nothing for like, depending on how you play out your month. Okay. Because there's not really any reason to go into battle multiple times a month. Like You have a set mission every single month that is always combat, Um, but you want to go into these battle sections for, you know, additional side stories, which are really good. Um, also getting, getting gold and money and resources for building weapons, yada, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, I always like, I always got to the point where I, I would be like, I want to have a battle. Like I want to just break up every, all the, the mentoring and all the other stuff I'm doing in the game. And I just want to do that once. But if I go into that, I'm locked into the battling and I feel like I'm wasting my battle points because I can't back out then because those battle points just go in the trash. Oh, so and when you go now, when you I'm, go, I'm and, sorry, what are the battle points for? 
you can use one per battle, basically. So if you go into the, if you choose battles as your option on the free day, you have a selection of different battles you can go to. And it's just one per. Oh, so it's and it'll like tell you what the, you pay one battle point to go into the battle. Exactly. Okay. All right. I was I was misunderstanding. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a weird system because there's different activity points for like just about everything. There's activity points for tutoring. There's activity points for um, when you're exploring. You can only do so many things in a day. Even though when you level up, you can somehow cram in more stuff in a day. It doesn't really make like a whole lot of sense, <laughs> but you know, just just roll with it. Um, yeah, the battle points, I really, it just, like, I even got to a point the other day where I was like, I don't want to do three battles in a row. Like, I could do one and then save it, and then I, that means I'm going to stop playing and then come back and do the other two. And that's what I did, because I was like, I just don't want to do three battles in a row. So it's it's a, a minor thing, but it was just a weird pacing. A lot. I guess if I had to, uh, to broad strokes, my biggest gripe, it's pacing in the story and also in like some of the activities you can do so it's all just clustered up into its own ass sometimes and it gets annoying but regardless the game's still fantastic and i must talk about my best moment now which was very much a story moment so i'm going to try my best not to spoil anything um but so some of the so there, there's this moment in the story, basically, where your character just gets upgraded. I will leave it at that. And it's one of the most epic cinematics I've ever seen in any game. Like the, the cinematics leave a lot to be desired in the game, like design wise and like, like just fidelity wise. <laughs> like it looks like it was there. It's all pretty low budget. Mm-hmm. But this one cut scene, I was just like, holy sh-. Like I got chills all up and down my body. Um, it's um i mean and also there was like a revenge moment in it which is just like so satisfying for all the wrong reasons so it's just (laughs) it was just really good i can't talk about it too much but just wanted to mention that when you get about about a third of way through the game you're going to experience some really dope shit and (laughs) the story the story really really starts to hit its stride about halfway through the game because it becomes something more than just um, teaching a bunch of students. And like, you're, you're always aware of like the, the three houses and it's their ramifications with the three nations of this world. And it really comes to a head about halfway through the game. And that was incredible. Yeah. What was that? Well, all right. Yeah. Tell us about Ion Fury. I'd say one of the, more disappointing design decisions I think is just that the enemy variety takes kind of takes a while to ramp up like you'll be fighting early on a lot of the same three or four enemies and that's you know through the first what you consider an episode on Mm. and you know in the 90s that kind of made sense when you were selling games via shareware so you'd give away the first episode and the first episode would have like, a, you know, a quarter of what you actually could show off as really cool enemies and things like that. And then you would, you know, in the, at the end, after you beat the first episode, you get that little splash screen of, Hey, buy the rest of the game. Check out all these fucking sweet enemies you get to fight. <laughs> but this game isn't distributed via shareware. This game is sold on steam. So 
you know, there's not a huge variety in the dudes that mm. you're fighting, even though they are cool and they, it is enjoyable. These kind of hooded guys, they look very much like the cultists. They remind me of the cultists in blood and they have their nice, uh, thankfully they don't have bloods frustrating shotgun hit scan weapons, which made them yeah. the worst, worst enemies to deal with worse than most of the other bosses or anything because it was just you know they were the only ones with hit scan weapons that did shit tons of damage i actually i guess the machine gun guys too but that's besides the point they oh and actually they have little guys that run on the floor little spider dudes that run on the floor and jump at you and i just don't like those in games i just don't find them fun <laughs> I, I get why they yeah, exist just panicking and shooting at the floor yeah you waste so much ammo I always feel like the hit detection on them is never quite right. And mm. I just don't like them in games. That's more of a personal design decision than a overall <laughs> like bad design. Cause they're functional. They work as well as every other one, but I just, yeah, yeah. they frustrate it, me it, so it's much. Most annoying in games that in more survival games that deprive you of ammo to your point. Mm. But yeah, I've never minded them in games like gears of war and like other games. It's just like, oh, I'm just, I can shoot for days like this game just built around me shooting endlessly in those types of games. I don't mind them for me. They're up there with um, things like sewer levels, which I'll tell you, you give me a sewer level and I'm done with your game. I just I'm so done with sewer levels there. I don't sewer levels and crates. I don't ever find them fun. They almost always give you a really shitty flashlight it's you're just running around a corridor with a little bit of water in the middle so that it slows you down. It's they're just yeah. not fun. And spider dudes in the floor are up there and in, in, in that echelon of things that I just don't enjoy, <laughs> but I get that. That's a personal decision. Yeah. It also surprises me that people are still doing this front loading of enemies because I think all, almost all of the successful first person shooters of the entire last decade if like really hit their stride because they've paced out everything so well, enemies, guns, upgrades, all this stuff. You can't just front load and be like, I hope this is still interesting for the second <laughs> half of the game, even though you're doing the same thing over and over again in a different environment. Yeah, and, and this took the, the almost opposite approach of like in the first couple of levels, you've gotten basically every weapon you're going to get in that first, first section of levels. But, but, you know, it's just very quick. And then you see all the enemies you're going to see in that first section of levels. And then it's not until you're into section or into the next episode, effectively, that things start opening up again. And it's just kind of like, there was a point in there I was thinking, all right, have I, have I seen all the enemies that are going to be in this game? <laughs> hey, that, that's fine. If I have, I just, is that it? Uh, oh no. Okay. There's more. It just, that part was weirdly paced. Thank God. Yeah. And uh, some of my favorite moments uh, have just been finding new guns. That's always the, one of the most fun moments in these games is finding a new gun and getting your chance to play around with it and, and see how it interacts. Mm. See how uh, you get uh, a crossbow that shoots piercing arrows, which is really cool. The The shotgun that you get very early on is a very much like the, the Doom double barreled shotgun. It just feels really good to use. It feels like a powerful shotgun that's just tearing through people even at that low fidelity. <laughs> uh, how many weapons do you think there were in the game? I have not finished it, so I don't know overall how many in total. I'm actually going to look it up very quickly because I think that's a good thing to know. 
Yeah, I think if if that's like where a lot of the entertainment comes from, I can definitely see like a, a good hearty number, like maybe not 30, but like 16 being really attractive. I'm going to guess that it's the standard uh, one through zero on the numbers across the top. That okay. That's my guess, just because you know, in keeping with the, what do you call it? The, the standards, uh, you know, that were set by games like Duke Nukem, where it's across the top. But I think I've come across six so hmm. far. Okay. So I, I can't speak to the full number, but I, I want, I'm going to guess that it goes the, all the way, but I've there's at least six-ish. Probably six. Minimum. Maybe maximum. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So why don't you wrap us up, Brent, with uh, your thoughts, with uh, your final thoughts on Fire Emblem and who you would recommend it to. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I have almost nothing but praise for the game. So I'll point out a couple more things that got a little bit old before I just fucking just cream all over the top of it. The combat was simplified in some ways from the previous two games. So some people might miss the uh, I forget what the mechanic was called, but you combine units. Oh, yeah. Um, in combat. Um, they took that away um, in favor of an adjutant system, which basically allows you to just sort of clip on somebody before a match, but they're never actually in danger. The old system was really easy to sort of take advantage of. I found that it trivialized a lot of the content, so I was sort of glad it was gone, but it could be perceived as a feature being torn out of the game. Um, the exploring portions of the free days got kind of tedious, just running around the monastery itself wasn't all that interesting all the time, especially towards the end, mostly because you have so many chat bubbles, like literally like dozens of people want to talk to you and you go up to talk to them and they are often saying garbage. And a lot of times it's not characters you care about either. So it's just like random how is, knights walking by. How is that exploring presented? Is that just like you running around in third person? Is that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you literally... You literally are popped in from your private quarters and then you can just start exploring in third person, this fully three dimensional world. You can even do the combat in the same um, the same perspective by zooming in all the way. It's it's hard to navigate and it's, that's not my perception of how I want to play a Fire Emblem game, but I'm it's cool that they added that. And I'm sure there's some people that get really immersed into that, um, especially because they added battalions in this, which are just a different kind of equipment. So you have like battalion abilities. And if you zoom in, you can see you running along with a bunch of dudes in that battalion, whether they be horsemen or Pegasus knights or archers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there were some really cool uh, attention to detail things that they, like are definitely not going to get hyper utilized, but they, they thought that it was worth uh, putting in the game. Um, they did return back to uh, weapons breaking. Um hmm. I don't I don't know how I feel about it in this game, mostly because uh, money's kind of tight in the game and you also need crafting goods to repair items. Um, but I guess it's also better than them breaking and just disappearing. But it's still like expensive and kind of irritating to have to deal with it all most of the time. I honestly I'd rather them just be more generous with weapons and then them break permanently than to have to repair them. But overall, um, it's a slow paced, thoughtful game, combat and really deep relationship building, um, really interesting uh, RPG elements that sort of 
undertone the entire game. Um, and I mean, it's growing in popularity across every demographic. One of my one of my good friends, he has two roommates and both his roommates and one of his roommates girlfriends bought a switch and the three houses because they watched him play and they were so entertained by it. Wow. So, yeah, so that's that's completely anecdotal. But I mean, it's <laughs> he sold that game to three people by just having them watch him play for 45 minutes. And <laughs> I think that says a lot. Um I can I can say more about who it's not for than who it is for because for people that are used to Nintendo games and this is a first party Nintendo game it is very blase with regards to death so I wouldn't say you should maybe hand it off to like a developing human being who might get very weird ideas about death because you know, there's a lot of times somebody very important in the story will die and they will just not talk about it it's just really weird sometimes but there is a good amount of death and it's fucking upsetting. And then when nobody talks about it, you don't know how to cope with it. So it's like, it's a bit jarring. So some people that are maybe more emotionally sensitive, maybe not great for them either, but otherwise I could easily recommend this game to everybody. Hmm. That's pretty impressive. Andy, Ion Fury. Who's it for? You know, I'd say if you've played, any 90s FPSs and enjoyed them. I would say that you would enjoy Iron Fury just because it, it it is more of that. It is that, but taken to its purest form. Um, I don't... I would be interested to see, and I haven't seen any reviews that have come from that, that perspective, people who have no experience with a 2.5D FPS someone who has no experience with it, if they would enjoy it, because there are, you know, the, the fact that a lot of the items are sprites that rotate to face you as you're moving around them can be, could probably be weird and jarring for someone who's never seen that in the game before. You know, the, <laughs> the fact that you know, the moving is kind of weird and the aiming upping it up and down is kind of weird because you're, you're not really aiming up and down. It's just a height map on a 2d s- surface. You know, there's, there's some quirks to it that if you played 90s FPSs before are fine. You don't think about them, but there's definitely, you know, it's, it's almost like the, how the old Castlevania games had those really rigid jump arcs and you jump and you were just jumping. There was no slowing down. There was no change. You just, you were jumping and you were landing the exact distance (laughs) for that jump. Hope you thought that out through, you know, thought that out. Well, and obviously the new Castlevania games don't do that, but I've seen some Metroidvania style games that are very much in keeping with that follow that same design choice. And I've wondered, you know, how do people who don't have that experience, do they just play this and wonder why the jump arcs in this game are so weird and rigid? <laughs> I would, I'd like to think that anyone who enjoys a good run and gun shooter would enjoy iron fury just because I think it's, it, it's very fun in that regard. But there's a part of me that thinks that they might not, that if you don't have the experience with it, you may not, the charm may be outweighed by the questions of why is this yeah. like this? 
Yeah, that, that was my primary question was, is it is a lot of the what makes it good nostalgia or could you actually recommend it to somebody who likes modern FPSs? Because I don't think I could go back and the game doesn't really appeal to me at all. I think like th- the way that nostalgia hits reminds me a lot of A Link Between Worlds. Would did you ever play that one? No. OK, I, I was I, you know, I started out on original Zelda on the NES. I played a lot of Link to the Past, a lot of um, Link's Awakening. So Link Between Worlds hit a lot of nostalgic beats for me, but it was also uh, essentially a a modern Zelda game with a lot of those beats and that style infused into it. This isn't like that. This is an old game. Like this could have been released then and it would have fit in with, you know, games from 19 years ago. It's not a new game with old with retro sensibilities. It's a new retro game. So I don't I don't think someone with no experience on them would enjoy it as much. They might find it a fun novelty, but I don't don't think they'd be compelled to play it through to the end just because you're you haven't trained yourself to not see the problems with a 2.5D shooter (laughs) in the way that I have from playing them for the last 20 years like that that blood uh re- remastering fresh apl- fresh supply came out this year as well and i played the shit out of that and that has a lot of the same problems but more so because it's blood and not iron fury mm. so i i mm. recommend this to you if you think you'd like it like if you look at it and think <laughs> and think oh i remember those games those were a lot of fun you've already bought this you might like this. yeah you're gonna you're gonna like that that this is just more of that mm. okay fair enough yeah I think that's, that's that was their entire market plan for that game anyway, so it's fair. Yeah, overall, it's a game that, much like a lot of the other game, my favorites of this year, succeeds very well at what it, it sets out to do. It may not be the biggest remit, it may not be as complex and in-depth in de- in of a remit as Fire Emblem, but it is what it tries to do, it, it nails, uh, and just about every count. Awesome. Well, let's rank these bad boys. Why don't you put yours on and then I'll, I'll put mine on since you've been starting everything this week. Um, no, you go first. <laughs> I have to make a really hard decision, Andy. <laughs> Fire Emblems for me is either going to be one or two. And I've been staring at this list for like an hour. I'm going to put Ion Fury at number five. I think that it, much like Yoshi's Crafted World, it succeeds at everything it is attempting to do. And it only beats out Yoshi's craft world because I had more fun with it than I did. Like Yoshi's craft world is great, but this was just even more fun. So that's, that's where I'm going mm. to throw this. I, I, I still think Superland was a better game. At least of the ones that I played was just a, a more ambitious project, especially knowing how small the team was. And it, it just yeah. a lot like um, Stardew Valley where, it just impresses the shit out of me that it, it was even made and was as competent at it was, as it was. So I, that's going to keep it ahead of that. And I would, I think I'm going to put this below Sekiro because I feel like Sekiro also tried, uh, tried for more than Ion Fury did. Ion Fury was, you know, mm. it did, it knew exactly what it was doing, but it wasn't doing anything yeah. crazy new. Yeah, yeah. It knew what it was and it executed it yeah. perfectly. I think that's that's fair. And you? I'm putting Fire Emblem at number one. There we go. 
I thought about it rationally as you did. And I, I know I've put more time into fire emblem already and I'm more excited for the DLC for fire emblem. And you can read into that by me saying that I don't give a shit about DLC for any other game on this list, except for maybe kingdom hearts three, maybe. <laughs> and that's one of my favorite franchises of all time, but fire emblems DLC. I'm genuinely excited for after playing the game because the game is that good. And I think I have something over 70 hours in the game already and I'm still playing it. Um, and it's, it's to your point, just fucking fun, man. <laughs> well, when I have 60 to 70 hours free, I may have to pick it up. Yeah, you should. Or, I mean, you use your switch for travel. I, I, I think the DLC is going to time up with my next vacation. And that's like the perfect bite sized amount of content for a vacation. So I'll get back into it then. That's partly why I'm excited for it, too. Well, all right. But, yeah. All right. So we got a new top six. We got uh, Fire Emblem, Three Houses, Kingdom Hearts 3, Devil May Cry 5, Superland, Sekiro, and now Ion Fury as well. Um, for the rest of the list, we'll post it eventually. I'm sure we'll read it off a couple more times throughout the series. But if you look through the titles of all of our podcast you can probably figure out i'm sure that. everyone's been keeping score at home as well yeah, yeah it's just individually keeping their own spreadsheets because we won't no, share ours because we're stingy whores. and don't forget our also ran list which is earth defense force five at yes 30, 30 times, times but it's specifically at number one <laughs> one 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 for each copy <laughs> sold oh got him <laughs> <laughs> all right that's been episode 12 11 i think episode yep. 11 episode 11 one yep. one all right i'm brent aka oh, wait, well i was just gonna say that just leaves us to thank our producer dirk thanks for all your hard work and dedication i i forgot about dirk because she's so new uh yeah you're 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 brent arcadia i'm i'm andrew yeah and you're andy salt talker yeah, yeah andy salt talker <laughs> can we do that every week <laughs> We'll figure it out. We'll figure out how to start endies eventually. <laughs> uh, abrupt goodbye. <laughs>